This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. God, for the glory of his name, is reconciling and reclaiming all things to himself. He's just yearning for you. He's longing for you. He wants friendship and relationship with you. He needs you. Oh, you're breaking his heart. No, he's going to break you. Self-esteem, that is a satanic idea. You're not as important as you think you are. This, like, when you say, I, I just can't believe in a God that would, you realize it doesn't matter. You don't get to define God. This is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Give us some men who know the truth. One man, Jew and Gentile, bond and free. One, there is no race in Christ Jesus. Oh, how a man needs to fear God that that man might cling to his word. Give us some preachers who aren't tripping over their skirt to get into the pulpit. What's wrong with you people? Thank you for tuning in to Matter of Theology. We are continuing with our Reformation Month. It is October, and being Reformed, we love the Reformation, and we love talking about the Reformation. We love all things Reformation. So That's right. we have talked about the necessity of the Reformation, the expansion of the Reformation. Today, we're going to be looking at some of the enemies of the Reformation, because you don't hear a whole lot about the enemies yeah, you you hear about all the heroes of the Reformation, but you right. don't hear about really the people that came up against them. That's well, right. you hear about you hear about the big ones, right? You hear yeah. about the, the, the and the we pa- covered some of them. We did, we did yeah. the, the the papacy, the Roman Catholic Church. You hear about uh, the the governments that were, uh, of course, under control of the church that were uh, responsible for putting the re- many reformers to death. Uh, threatening the lives of many others. Um, so you hear about that. Um, but I think one of the things that we're going to get into today is may- maybe some of the smaller uh, people, names maybe you didn't know about um, in the enemies of the Reformation. Yeah, so we've talked about uh, Bloody Mary, who was an obvious enemy of the Reformation. Um, we talked about Mary, Queen of Scots, who came against... Uh, John Knox in Scotland. Uh, and if you don't have the John Knox biography by Steve Lawson, grab it. Uh, great, great book. You will you will come away with a love for John Knox. And if it sounds like we're super tired, it's because we are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, am, I, am, I am so tired right now. <laughs> like, can, we, can we put out a disclaimer before we start? Yeah, we be yeah this episode what we say. <laughs> That's a disclaimer. This is going to suck more than more than normal people. <laughs> I'm like barely hanging on. I know. I know. Drew may sniff into the microphone. That's like, true. I, like, I'm taking vitamin C like intravenously at this point. It's really bad. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, who else? We've mentioned Erasmus. Uh, Erasmus, yep. who came against uh, Luther. Now, Erasmus, uh, to his credit, uh, it was his. Uh, five editions of the Greek New Testament that uh, were used along with the 1550 Stephanus and Theodore Beza's uh, editions that were used uh, for the translation of the New Testament in right. the King James Bible. Yep. Uh, yep. But the, 
That that was really the only good thing that he did, according to Luther. I mean, Luther said after he <laughs> after he did his translations, he should have just stopped. Yeah, he was a scoundrel. He was a scoundrel. He was, but yeah. he wrote uh, he, he wrote a work called "The Freedom of the Will," uh, because uh, you, you know Luther talked about unconditional election, uh, predestination, really everything going against man's will. Man's will is in bondage. So Erasmus wrote a work called "The Freedom of the Will," and then Luther came back and wrote The Bondage of the Will, explaining right. how our will is not actually free. It's actually a slave to sin, and it is in bondage. And in that work, you get some colorful insults from Luther to Erasmus. Yeah, you uh, you don't realize that you're reading a theology book at times. You just kind of, <laughs> yeah. uh, you stop, you sit is back, this, you laugh. Is this Luther's blog? Yeah, like, this is there you go. Well, Luther, yeah. no, Luther's blog is the insult generator. That's Luther's yeah. blog. We'll get into that. So stay tuned for B. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm Between the Matters is going to be fun this week. Between the Matters. Oh my gosh, I forgot my own segment. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> I mean, I mean, reading it, it's almost like you know, Trump. Trump gets his tweets from from Luther's <laughs> guys, writings. Guys, oh no, guys, no, 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 guys. no, 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 no. Martin, Too far? No. Okay. Here's a thought. Martin Luther on Twitter. It's Can the insult generator. Believe it's the, the ones I was spin. sending to you guys. Okay. So complete off topic. Just I I know we need to get to our topic, but who would be the main person that Martin Luther today would go after on Twitter? Uh, you can't say the Pope right now. You can't say the Pope because that's what he did back then. Like who in today's society would like just. Just really, really get under his skin. Who Beth would it Moore. be? I think Probably it would be Beth, Beth Moore. Beth Moore. <laughs> here, here, here's here's oh, what man. here's what he would say. Okay, I just opened up the the insult generator. I'll read one. Okay. Oh no. You teach the disorderly masses to break into this field in disorder like pigs. Ooh, jeez. <laughs> Here's the thing. When when Martin Luther read the verse, speak speak truth and love. Uh, he's just like you know the truth is the love. And I'm just gonna. Say, yeah, he's one of. Yeah, he's one of the guys. <laughs> he was a very selective. Sorry. The first, the first cage stager that never got out. Oh yeah, Martin Luther <laughs> never got out. He he invented the cage stage because I mean that's <laughs> that's the ultimate cage stage uh, excuse. I am I, I am, am loving them because I'm giving them the truth. That's yeah. right. Truth that's right. Hurts. Truth hurts. Truth hurts. It's like yeah. Or you're just for later, like one of the two. Yeah. So okay. back to the moving enemies. On. <laughs> moving, on. moving on, moving on, moving on. All right. So <laughs> we wanted to keep this one at 45 minutes, and we've already it's six minutes now. We've already wasted it. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. So, anyways, let's start out with Leo the Tenth. He's the Pope. Uh, Luther, 1517, posts his 95 theses to the the church door in Wittenberg. And actually, fun fact, what people a lot of people may not realize is that before the 95 Theses, he actually had a 97 Theses. It just wasn't as popular. Didn't take off. People didn't really want to read it. Um, one of that nice so, round 95 number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one that kind of... People right. are like, oh, 95. Like, that's 97, divisible by five. Uh, I don't know. 95, now we're talking. Yeah. 
yeah. Well, and it was uh, under Pope Leo X that that's where, man, it, the, the Roman Catholic Church really did become that breeding ground of yes heresy and deception and he was I the mean, one that issued praying that on people, started yeah. uh indulgences and collecting money for indulgences he's the one that sent out tetzel. uh tetzel yeah to uh, to collect tetzel. money um so uh luther nails his 95 theses luther is making waves and really at the beginning leo he he doesn't he doesn't think much of it. He doesn't think it's a, it's something to get worked up about. He's going to talk to, you know, the, the leaders of his monastery and just say, you know, rein them in. Uh, but you know, Luther, Luther can't be tamed. And so it actually gets to a point where, uh, Leo issues a papal bull. And this papal bull is a threatening uh, excommunication to Luther. It's a call for him to recant his teachings. Um, otherwise, he will be excommunicated from the church. And uh, Leo X is also famous for calling Luther the wild boar that ran loose in the Lord's vineyard. Um, so anyways, Leo, he issues this papal bull. Uh it makes its it, Luther knows about it. It's making its way around uh, different different cities in Europe. Uh, it finally makes its way to Wittenberg, and Luther takes the bull and he burns it, and that really gets under Leo's skin. And like something John Knox would do. Would you yeah, say would you say that Luther called it bull? Probably. I, he was <laughs> wow. like. This bull is bull. Would you say, gonna, you say he, called, you say he called bull on that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Did I mention I'm tired? <laughs> it's all good, man. Uh, so he, so he lit it on fire in front of the whole town. Luther ends up getting excommunicated from the church. So that actually leads us to the diet of Worms, which took place in 1521. Now, Leo the Pope had an ambassador called Guillermo Alejandro. Guillermo Alejandro was the one that actually took the bull to Wittenberg uh, to call Luther to recant for his quote-unquote heresies, which weren't heresies. They were biblical teachings. Uh, but before they actually met at the Diet of Worms, there was an imperial meeting. This is all the leaders of the church uh, that are going to be at the meeting. They're meeting beforehand. So. During this meeting, Guillermo actually says, there's nothing to discuss. We've already excommunicated him. The only thing left to do is to uh, condemn him as a heretic and burn him at the stake. Mm -hmm. And this would have happened if it wasn't for Luther's friend, Frederick the Wise. Frederick the Wise actually said, uh, Luther deserves a fair and free trial. Uh, so they did. Uh, and... I believe we've already covered what happened at the Diet of Worms uh, in a previous episode. But to follow Guillermo a little further, uh, Guillermo, uh, he was an Italian scholar. Uh, he worked with Erasmus early on. Uh, he was responsible for introducing Greek studies into France, actually. Um, a, lot of, a, a lot of the foundation that... Uh, Calvin had in Greek studies and theological studies actually came 
because uh, of Guillermo Alejandro uh, bringing bringing that those studies and that information into France. Uh, Guillermo is quoted at the Diet of Worms as saying, uh, "Luther brought up John Huss from hell. Uh, he resurrected him from hell because." You know, almost 100 years before, John Huss was condemned as a heretic, and he was burned at the stake for the same thing. Wow. Uh, And this was, uh, you know, a group of people, uh, the the papacy, that hated John Huss. They hated the teachings of Huss, of Wycliffe, and now of Luther, and they called Luther a Hussite uh, because he was teaching the same things. So in saying that, it's basically saying it's, it's further... Uh, condemnation as a heretic because they burned Huss for being what they considered a heretic. And now they're charging Luther with the same thing as being a heretic. But uh, Guillermo Alejandro is responsible for actually sending Henry Vos and Johann Esk to the stake to be burned as the first martyrs of the Reformation. Uh, if you've listened to the biography short that I did, I talk about those two gentlemen. Uh, well, it was Guillermo Alejandro that actually uh, went to their monastery, had them arrested, had them condemned as heretics for teaching Lutheran doctrine, and they were burned at the stake. Wow. Wow. Well, and, and speaking of burning, um, you know, we talked about Bloody Mary and uh, in the book uh, Five English Reformers by uh, J.C. Ryle, he, he uh, in the introduction, um, very, very thorough, but very small book, uh, he talks about the 288 persons that were burned at the stake for the Protestant faith. Um, and you look at uh, these and out of these 288 services or, or sufferers, he broke down. He said to be remembered that one was an archbishop, four were bishops, 21 were clergymen. 55 were women and four were children. And his, his, his whole thing in there, uh, in that section of the opening of the book is the fact that we cannot ignore the, uh, the truth that the reformers, these reformers, uh, were, were put to death as were the first two, uh, martyrs that AG just talked about by the church in Rome. It is wholly and entirely, they are responsible for that. And he's very quick to remind us that the responsible to t- try to transfer the responsibility from the church to a secular power, he said, quote, is miserable and a dishonest subter- subterfuge. The men of Judah did not, and it, well, I'm sorry, then, then, he, then he goes into talking about Samson how they delivered Samson into the hands of the Philistines. So the Church of Rome uh, says the Church of Rome um, did not slay the Reformers, but she condemned them. And the secular power is what executed the condemnation. So when you look at one of the things that I wrote down when we decided to talk about this, and I put enemies of the Reformation or enemies of the church, number one, herself. And... This is one of those examples that the the, uh, the the secular power, the secular governments, like a Queen Mary who was staunchly Catholic, put to death these 288 souls. 
um, for their stance for sola scriptura, for their stance that, that salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, based on the scripture alone. Uh, now, all of us, we, we hear that, and that's normal lingo for most Protestant reformers today. We, we hear those things, and we're like, yeah, I mean, gosh, that's just, that's just so crazy that, that the church, the ch- uh, I, some, an organization identifying as a church would condemn and hand these people over to be executed publicly for their faith in the truth found in Scripture. And not to immediately launch us there, but that's that is where that that's the the pathology of the apostate church. It starts with one of the things we've been talking about each episode: a a turning from the sufficiency of Scripture alone as it pertains to all things in matters of life and godliness. Mm-hmm. And the right. church, the, the church herself. I mean, and he uh, J.C. Ryle says the blood is upon them all just like the jews and pontius pilate when the lord was crucified all parties must bear the blame yeah yeah well and that that point you made there chris about that's that is it's the horrific uh kind of end result of what happens when you lose sola scriptura right when you yeah. have when you are the authority uh and ultimately those are the only two paths either god's the authority or you are that's right that's right, right. Um, at the end of the day, it, it's it, it's one of the two, and yeah, when you lose sola scriptura and when you lose your your anchor for theological truth, for logic, for morality, when you lose that, mm. it is based completely upon how you feel and what you think. And we all know, based on our last you know our last couple of episodes, our our minds and our hearts are linked to our total depravity, right? Right, and. When scripture's gone, the total depravity will take over, and we see men and women and uh, children for children, man, burned alive under the guise of scripture. Mm-hmm. This is biblical, supposedly and, in the name of Christ. Oh, and, and it just, it just, that's it. Yep. It should be such an eye-opening warning to us because that's not. That's not something that's foreign today, right? I mean, thankfully, thankfully in America, we don't have public executions of Christians and children. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be a time in the future when that happens. I don't know. I'm not one of those, you know, conspiracy theorists. But but yeah, the, the society is becoming more and more hostile mm-hmm. to the word of God. Um, and well, we, and- we must hold fast to it. We, we've got to. Well, can I can I even be as so bold as to say this? Uh, you know, the when when the church surrenders biblical authority mm-hmm. and the purity of absolute biblical sufficiency, mm-hmm. when you step away from that in yeah. any regard, yeah, um, this kind of stuff is the logical conclusion. I remember mm-hmm. hearing Dr. John MacArthur say. Uh, and I think I said it in one of our last episodes that first and foremost, when we capitulate to the world um, and first it's going to start with style and then the world will dictate the substance uh, and the content. And uh, so I, and this is fresh on my mind because uh, the Truth Matters Conference is going on right now in, in Los Angeles. And 
the Q&A session today, they were talking about intersectionality and critical race theory. And specifically, the Southern Baptist Convention's vote on Resolution 9 this year, 2019, saying that on the next, that, that any, any group that gets together to evaluate translations of Scripture, they need to have, uh, that they need to make sure that they have an African-American, Hispanic, and a woman on that board because culture does need to have influence on the translation of Scripture, mm. which is ridiculous. It needs this... to be about the purity of the Greek and the Hebrew, and it has nothing to do with culture shaping what the Bible says. The Bible case... says what it says. Go ahead. No, no. Where did this come? I'm just hearing about this. At Where... the Southern Baptist Convention this year, Resolution 9. Intersectionality. This was, this was, this yes. was Southern Baptist. This is they confirmed. voted on it and confirmed mm. it this year. Oh goodness, and so, dude. so, and that, and that's that's the 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 awful thing about about this. And I know we're talking about enemies of the Reformation, um, but the, hello, the Reformation is still happening. Um, and and we're going to get to this. And and we we recorded an episode with uh, Brad Weber from Theology Nights where we talked about the need to reform. Uh, today and 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 so if you guys haven't heard that we're going to post it. Um, I think are we still doing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah it'll 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 come out. But I mean, look, uh, it's not Bible's... ironic that the enemies of the Reformation are the enemies of Scripture. No, 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 it, it's not at all, not at all. I mean, but uh, it's it, it's it's something that we need to pay attention to. Yeah, uh, it, it's something that Luther and Calvin and Knox and Tyndale. Uh, Rogers, uh, Hooper, Ridley, Latimer, you know, all these guys, uh, all, all these people were paying attention to uh, in the 15th, 16th and 17th centuries and, and beyond. And it's something that we need to pay attention to today. Um, the, the, the Bible says what it says for a reason. Um, you know, and I won't get into a whole diatribe on this now. I will just point you to uh, the Just Thinking podcast as I have been, and I will point you to uh, a recent sermon by Dr. John MacArthur talking about the fact that in in the kingdom of God, Colossians 3.11 is very clear. There are no distinctions anymore. Uh, Thankfully. So to, thank you, Jesus. Absolutely. Because I would be on the out. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but to sit there and say uh, that you have to have culture and then and then and then completely taking passages out of Corinthians out of context to say that culture has to influence what the Bible says uh, is 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 uh, to quote my friend Daryl Harrison hermeneutical gymnastics and is the enemy's plan to to clutter and complicate and destroy the gospel from being seen mm -hmm. yeah. well that was an enemy then it's an enemy now yeah, I mean, and that's that's the ploy of Satan. If he can take away our source material, right? If he can take away our Absolutely. ability to fact check and take away our authority, then yeah, we are left in chaos, right? And you see in you know that again, like I didn't I didn't hear about that. If, if that's true, if it's confirmed, I mean, I'll send me the link to that yeah, that that Southern Baptist thing. But if that's true. And the Southern Baptist Convention and other conventions or other churches, the minute you start taking liberties with Scripture 
and start viewing it as a, as something that you somehow have control over or you somehow have the ability to dictate how it's interpreted, you are playing the Pope. Right. And we have not learned our lesson. Absolutely. Nothing and new under the sun. And a reformation needs to happen 500 years later. If, if that's happening, then yeah, then that is that, that is the battlefield there. It really comes down to the sufficiency and the authority of the word of God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you want a, a great example during the time of the reformation of what happens when you reject sola scriptura, tota scriptura in the sufficiency of scripture, Amen. uh, research what happened in Munster, Germany mm. and the Anabaptists. There you yeah. go. Oh, yeah, that, go. that story is horrific. Well, and and just look what we're talking about. Children are being burned in the name of Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. yep. Like what? What? Oh, good. Gracious. Well, and and you know, I mean, w- would you say? Would you guys be uh, on board with saying that this was? You know, we saw this is pragmatism, and when it comes to our faith, to its logical conclusion as well. This is the. Uh, I mean, obviously, that this is this is the extreme version that we're talking about. Is my voice cracked? Did you guys hear that? That was fun. <laughs> um, that uh, you know, it, it it starts again. I'm going to quote that Casting Crown song. I did this. I did this. I think yeah. last month. It's a slow fade. Right. It's a slow yeah. fade. It starts with. It's the, always a snowball. Yep. Yep. And then yep. it moves quickly. So anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's true. No, that's a. I mean, that's a great. Um, example of of an enemy is the church itself yeah an, an institution that claims to be for christ that misuses scripture in order to oppress or or move forward their own agenda apart from scripture uh is an enemy to the people of god and ultimately uh blaspheming the name of god and look you can even be sincere about this mm-hmm. you know th- there can be people look at Uzza, right that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uzzah was sincere, sincerely trying to catch the ark from falling off the cart. The issue was, is as Vody Bakum pointed out yesterday, and again, that just this is just fresh on my mind. The, the, the bigger issue was the sin of David, thinking that the ark of the covenant was supposed to be on a cart in the first place. Mm. When it wasn't, yeah. the Lord strict gave strict commands on how that thing was to be carried. Mm-hmm. And Uzzah, again, being being who he was, from where he was, was absolutely sincere. This is where the presence of God was held, and this thing goes to fall, and he just tries to catch it and, and is struck down immediately because that's not what God commanded to happen. So you can be absolutely sincere in a belief that you have, but if it doesn't line up with the truth found in Scripture, it is wrong. That's right. Yeah. Well, and uh, there's a quote by R.C. Sproul on Uzza, and it says, uh, Uzza's, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uzza's sin was not... Just thinking that his hand was cleaner than the dirt. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. It, was it that one? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's Uzza's... Uh, what was it? Uzza's sin was not thinking that that <clears throat> the mud was going to somehow desecrate the Ark of the Covenant. His sin was thinking that his hands was were cleaner than the dirt. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and... You can have the best intentions, but if you are forgetting the truths of Scripture, if you are forgetting the commands of God, if you are forgetting the rules that God has set down as to this is how things should be, mm-hmm. good intentions or not, you are violating mm-hmm. what God has said to be true. That's right. And yeah. and going back to the, the Reformation where you have the church 
burning people at the stake, where in Scripture is the authority given for murder? Yeah, it's quite the yeah. opposite. Yeah. Yeah. But that I was about stand. pride. That was about that was about pride <laughs> and control and power. Um that that and was th- which is yeah, which is why they didn't want the the Bible in the the English language. Absolutely. Because so that they could use yeah. the people you can't fact check. Yep. That's right. Yep. That's right. If you can yep. control the people with the word of God in a language that they can't they can't understand well then you can make them do whatever they want absolutely uh, they're not going to rise up against you but as soon as they have it in their language where they can read it and they can understand it and they can go eh, yeah what you're teaching actually isn't right well then you've got a revolt on your hands right so yep. let's continue with uh w- with some of the some more enemies chris yeah uh so last time i i talked about william tyndale and uh, there were a couple of comments like, Chris, you, you didn't like William Tyndale, did you? And I'm like, no, not at all. Just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Shout out, Brad. I know. Um, that's twice now Brad's made the podcast tonight. Um, so not all the enemies of the Reformation um, and the endeavors against the Reformers were obvious, like the governments, uh, the, the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church. Uh, but just like today... There are those who did their dead level best to ever slow slightly uh, twist the words of Scripture. Um, and as we've said, even even in this episode, there's nothing new under the sun. And so there was one such person around the days uh, of William Tyndale uh, in the time between his uh, he released the first uh, New Testament in 1526. There were four unauthorized translations reprinted before Tyndale could release the 1534 updated edition. And in that updated edition, he did make, you know, upwards of, of 5,000 revisions and corrections. And um, so these versions that were released, they really did motivate Tyndale, who was constantly on the run and on the move, uh, as we talked about uh, last time. And uh, so, I mean, it really did motivate him as obviously uh, this was something he was trying to get into the hands of the people and he wanted it to be pure and correct, which is why uh, he wanted to stick strictly to the Greek. He learned Hebrew. He didn't want to use the Latin Vulgate. Um, so th- th- there were a couple of people that were responsible for this. And this kind of ties into what we were just talking about. Uh, there was an, uh, in Antwerp, there was a publisher named Christopher, uh, no relation, uh, Van Inhoven. And the four unauthorized editions uh, were printed in Antwerp without Tyndale's permission or knowledge. So uh, in 1526, 1530, 1533, and then another one in 1534. And the, and this, the, the reason I'm talking about this is because is you may be hearing me and you're like, well, why is this a big deal? He's just trying to spread the New Testament around. He's trying to help Tyndale. Well, there's a big issue because... The 1534 had some very, very frustrating um, and, 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 and irksome uh, things for Tyndale. That's a good word, right? Yeah, um, good. So it was done by, by a man named George Joy, J-O-Y-E. And I might be mispronouncing his name, but it looks like Joy, so I'm just going to go with it. Now, he was a Cambridge scholar, 
and he became proficient in Latin. He was he was re- a renowned heretic for his reformed thinking by the Catholic Church. Uh, and so something I want to just remind all of us here is we can have reformed thinking. We can say all the right things and still be considered as one who either sows or, or plants discord and who doesn't truly adhere to proper theology and doctrine. All right. I, I mean, there are so many people on Twitter uh, and social media today who, mm-hmm. who would tout themselves as reformed and all they're doing is going around <clears throat> and stirring up trouble. So uh, this guy, Joy, he leaves England. He travels to Antwerp where he, he starts trying to do Bible translations all, all of his own. And he actually translated several books of the Old Testament, though not from the original Hebrew. That's a problem. In 1530, uh, he produced his printed trans, uh, translation of the Psalms from Latin into English. Uh, 1531, Christopher Van Endoven was arrested for printing and shipping copies of the New Testament. And he, he died in prison in 1532. Uh, Joy continued his work. He published Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in 1534. Jeremiah and Lamentations were translated. Um, Van Endoven's widow asked Joy to translate uh, the fourth pirated version, as that's what they were, uh, mm-hmm. of, of Tyndale's 1526 edition. And it was inferior to Tyndale's because he worked from the Latin Vulgate, not the original Greek. And here's why this, do it. This, is, this is why this is a big yeah, deal. We'll do listen, it real quick. It will. Listen to this. So <laughs> one of the changes was a huge change from Tyndale's theology. And this is the problem. Joy altered Tyndale's word for resurrection, and it was changed for life after this life or very life in 20 different places. So uh, so at that time, there was a dispute between the reformers over the idea of soul sleep. And you can't see me, but I'm doing the air quotes. Um, and, and so the joy denied that a believer goes immediately into the presence of God after death. So he was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So this change in the translation, it changed and affected the whole public perception of the doctrinal stance. And Tyndale denied the teaching and he actually addressed it uh, in a second prologue in the 1534 New Testament edition, uh, accusing joy of denying bodily resurrection. And, and what he said about this guy is, is it's a dishonest misrepresentation. misrepresentation. Uh, first of all, unauthorized versions of the New Testament. And it was entitled A Violent Protest Against Joy. So check this out. I'm going to read the quote because it's really good. All right. So, so Tyndale said this. He said first, and this, this is key. He says, George Joy has not used the office of an honest man. Seeing he knew that I was correcting it myself, neither did he walk after the rules of love and softness, which Christ and his disciples teach us, how that we should do nothing to strife, to move debate, or of vainglory or covetousness. When the printing of mine was almost finished, one brought me a copy and showed me so many places in such wise altars that I was astonished and wondered not a little what fury had driven him to make such change and to call it diligent correction. 
And so after after the, the, he addressed the controversy, um, he he addressed the replacing the resurrection with life after this life. And he said it was blatantly dishonest. He said this, quote, for throughout Matthew, Mark and Luke perpetually and oft in the Acts and sometime in John and also in Hebrews, where he findeth this word resurrection, he changed it to life after this life or very life and such like as one that abhorred the name of the resurrection. But I, but of this, I challenged George Joy that he did not put his own name thereto and call it rather his own translation, and that he playeth Bo Peep. <laughs> so, wow. so, I mean, <laughs> Tyndale obviously went after this guy, but that's a big deal. That's a big, big deal. This guy, this guy thought that he was helping, right? Uh, but or or people thought that he was helping. But we see that really, truly, it was covetousness. It was for vainglory, as Tyndale said. And then he made a big change to a big theological word that, if you don't translate that correctly, does have huge implications of the public perception of the theology, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I mean. Without the word resurrection and not believing in what he believed in and the whole debate of soul sleep, um, yeah. just like Josh said, that, that's a purgatory issue. That mm-hmm. is, at best, that's joy being pragmatic with Scripture. At worst, it's an intentional deception um, and heretical um, insertion. That's not a word. Insert there um, <laughs> to, to try to lead people astray. So, uh, I mean, he, he, again, at best, he didn't have patience. He didn't have humility. And at worst, it was done with, with complete and obvious deception, trying to yeah. lead people astray. And, 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 you know, that kind of stuff happens today. We, we shouldn't just assume that it didn't happen then. Um, but again, I go back to what I've said multiple times, even, even this episode, is we have to hold fast and be students diligently studying, diving into, unpacking for our own personal sanctification, the inerrant, infallible, and absolutely 158 million percent sufficient Word of God. Amen. Yeah. Well, yeah. And we, we need to do it because lives depend on it. That's right. right. Our lives depend on it. Others' lives. We're, we're, talking about, we're talking about whether or not people are saved when That's we're right. talking scriptural authority, right? Whether or not you can believe the Bible and whether or not the Bible is your authority in life is a primary issue. It really is. Right. Um, and we need to view it as such. And I think the church needs to, the vast, the, a lot of the church needs to wake up and see how much damage, um, th- how much damage societal influence and personal opinion and not wanting to offend has done to our authority, right? Yeah. Because if you strip away the Bible, we don't have anything. We don't have Christianity. I don't think, I don't think right. people realize the importance and the centrality of Scripture and the gospel that is in Christianity. If you take away the authority of the Bible, you have no Christianity. Rejecting, rejecting Scripture's authority that that's the first step and then and then it's compromise and then we end up looking like the world and then we're so concerned with attracting sinners in an attempt right. to bury our theology uh that we're not from a biblical standpoint loving them enough to tell them about their sin um and and presenting the full gospel to them right and what that leads to is modern day huge 
quote-unquote churches and movements today calling God a genie in a bottle mm-hmm. from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. That is blasphemy. Right. And and I'm I'm not I'm not trying to get all dark and serious here, but but this is this is what happens. Like this is this is vital. This is primary stuff. Right. This is front lines, uh front lines important. Yes. Well, and the scary, you know, the scary thing about that is sometimes sometimes I ask the question, like, how how do people not see this? How how is it how is it that 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 there are people that will defend um, outright, outright her- heretics, rank heretics or heresy um, I- inside the church. Well, how come they'll see that? How come they'll sit there and say, the Bible's not God? You're putting God in a box. Mm-hmm. I often ask that question. I often ask the question with fear myself, not fear because I doubt the sovereignty of God, but fear for this person who's saying this in should challenging times really come at best, they're really going to struggle because they're going to try to figure out on their own at worst, they're not believers and their eyes are still blinded by the, by the God of this world, small G God. And, um, man, uh, you know, I'm, I've been called a heresy hunter. I've been called a pragmatist, a fundamentalist. You're one of those regulative principle guys, aren't you? Yep. (laughs) Sure am. Uh, and, um, but the, the, the whole goal is because I don't know any better than the Bible and I need scripture. (laughs) I I need it. It's the very breathed out word of God. Yeah. The, the, the real problem is where people get to thinking that they have the right to reinvent what God has commanded and how he has commanded us to do things, how he has commanded us to worship, how he has commanded uh, preachers to preach. I mean, it's very clear. Preach the, the word. word. It's it's a charge from Paul to Timothy. This uh, That's why they're called the pastoral epistles, right, because right. a preacher has nothing to say apart from the word of God. Amen. Preach the word. You are not free to reinvent the standard that God has set. Uh, you're not free to reinvent the way God has said to do it. Yep. And yeah. and when you think that you can, what you are is you're elevating yourself to the position of God and saying, I know better, or, I, well, I know how to reach these people in this way better than God does. Or, or... Yes, that. And, um, you know, it would be, be we, we need to have our culture have a say on how we translate and interpret scripture. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Are you saying that the all-knowing ruler of the cosmos that has never changed, that is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that is all-knowing and all-powerful, gave us his revealed word that would not be sufficient for all cultures and all times. Yeah. Is saying that, saying is the that, Bible isn't enough. And I know they're saying, well, it's the translations. Like, okay. So you are saying that God in his sovereignty did not give us a translation that is good for us. Is that what you're saying? Right. So God, ultimately it gets down to God didn't preserve his word. 
Right. Well, and ultimately, again, it, get, it 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 all comes back to really when you when you drill down, and and trace the line back, it all comes down to idolatry, and you're worshiping yourself. You're questioning right. the power, authority, and the sufficiency not just of the scriptures, but of God Himself. Yeah, and that yeah. at the end of the rabbit trail, that's what all that all is sin a, is. That is rejecting the truth, suppressing the truth, as Romans says. Mm-hmm. And 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 man, that's a that's a that's a rough spot to be. Yep. Yep. So so enemies enemies of the Reformation ultimately come about by way of a rejection of the sufficiency and the authority of Scripture. Right. Uh, so now enemies are going to come up, no mm-hmm. matter no matter what day and age we live in, right? There are enemies of the Reformation. There were enemies before the Reformation. There were enemies after the Reformation with uh, dealing with the Puritans. There are enemies today. Um, Josh, can you speak into how do we, uh, how do we deal with those who would come against us, whether it be, uh, you know, to bash us as the, you know, the, well, you're just too legalist. Mm -hmm. You hold to your Bible and stuff or, (laughs) or, you know, or those who, you know, because we, we seek to do things, you know, according to God's word, well, they want to hate us or, um, you you know, they want to kill us as, you know, people from other countries and other religions. How do we respond to that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think first and foremost, uh, especially and this is going out to my my reformed brethren uh, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself here as well. We need to make sure that 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 what we are arguing is worth the time, meaning it's an essential that we are not making secondary issues, primary issues, because us reform folk are very, very good at elevating secondary issues to primary and saying, no, this is a gospel issue, right? We so love... what's, an, what's an example of that? Let, let's, let, let's, let's talk about that for a second. Calvinism. So, so arguing Calvinism <laughs> would going. be a secondary issue. Calvinism <laughs> is a secondary issue. And I am, Here's the thing. The Josh, you know, five years ago would have called this Josh a heretic, right? So sanctification is is working, <laughs> thankfully. But um, we need to understand that the call of the of the Great Commission is not go into all the world and make Calvinists. It is to make disciples. It is to share the gospel freely and openly with all that will hear and trust that the theology is going to come by the way it came to us, by the grace of God alone, right? So we are called to make Christians, not Calvinists. Does that mean that we don't have good theological, robust discussions or study? No, of course not. That's that's totally fine. But if you find yourself trying to convince somebody of the truth of limited atonement, and you aren't getting to the gospel, mm. you are doing it wrong, <laughs> Second Corinthians four five for we do not preach ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bond servants for Jesus's sake. Right, and and I know there are there are some people out here that need to hear this because I need to hear this every day. There are so many like if you are if you are us Calvinists need to understand there are so many Arminians out there that are so much more holier than us. 
because they are preaching a true gospel and loving people and doing it di- diligently. And we're over here uh, with <laughs> our keyboard warriors uh, writing on our blogs and, and, and ranting on our podcasts, which I know is an, is an ironic thing, right. And trying to make everybody <laughs> Calvinist when we're supposed to be making people Christians. Right. So Amen. The, I will admit that is a little of a, that's a small soapbox, but, but yeah, make sure that what you are arguing and what you are being reviled for is actually worth being reviled for. Mm. Right. Make sure it's a primary issue because otherwise have a discussion, but there are hills that aren't worth dying on. Yeah, that's right. right? I mean, cause in order Luther to have unity. Yeah. Luther didn't, his goal wasn't to convert everyone to the teachings of Luther. No, it was to bring everyone back to Sola Scriptura, back to the teachings of the scripture. Right. So say you are, say that's not the case, right? And, and you're actually doing well and you actually are fighting uh, for a primary issue. Let's take, um, let's take the person of Jesus Christ, whether or not he's God or not, right? You're fighting for the deity of Christ. That is an essential issue, right? If we get that wrong, our salvation is wrong, right? Amen. Um, Amen. You're taking flack for that. Okay. First and foremost, I think it's important to remember that Christ said this would happen, right? Jesus told us that because they reviled him, they would revile us, right? That if we are going to claim Christ as our own, if we are going to claim to be Christians, right? The prefix I-A-N meaning small. W- w- Christian is, is literally a small Christ, right? It is a, yep. it is a, it is a representation of Christ. If we're going to be his ambassadors, we must realize that the hate and the slander and the visceral reactions that Christ had, we are going to get as well because we should be teaching the same and speaking the same things. Right. Um, so we, we must realize that, that, that Christ said this persecution would happen. That's um, right. That's very, very, I think important to understand because, and realizing again, this is going back to the, the importance of the active obedience of Christ on our behalf that Christ in his sovereignty, when he was here on earth, he went through everything that we would go through. We have an advocate, we have a representative in the person of Jesus Christ, that when we are going through the persecution and going through the hatred, we know Christ knows how we feel. Yeah. First Peter two. Yep. Yep. We know Christ was there. So, so when you said the, uh, Christ and the nature of Christ, it made me think of this little work, by Athanasius called on the incarnation. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Which uh, explains why Jesus had to come and ultimately why Jesus is God. Because if you know anything about uh, the council of Nicaea and right. Athanasius, uh, he argued for the nature and deity of Christ. Moving on. No, <laughs> but you know, you know, and, and I, I want to, I've, I've got two more points, but I want to, to, to say this too. And I, and I really want to say this with grace and not being, I'm, I'm not trying to joke here, but being told mean things on Facebook is not persecution. And preach. I realize, no, preach. I realize Go this for might it. be a touchy, a touchy again, subject. Let's go on and say that one more time, please. Uh, being, told mean things on Facebook is not persecution, right? <sighs> when we here in America, for some reason, we here in America, especially modern evangelicals kind of have like this persecution, like 
I don't know, like, like everything's persecution, right? We have movies being made about uh, being persecuted in the court system and in the schools and, oh, I'm being persecuted for this and I'm being persecuted for this and, oh, they're taking our rights away. And yeah, I mean, there is legitimacy. That's not good. That's not right. Right. But we here in America have absolutely no clue what persecution is. Mm-hmm. We right. don't, we don't. And, and to say that me getting blocked by somebody on Facebook or somebody's, you know, even, even again, I don't agree with it, but even down to somebody's business rights being taken away, right. To call that persecution and not simply an, an inconvenience, I think is doing so much injustice to the men and women and children over in Iran that are getting their heads cut off. Right. Like, let's have some perspective here in America. There are people literally losing their lives in horrendous, horrendous ways. They are putting men, women, and children into cages, pouring gasoline on them and lighting them on fire because they dare worship Jesus. Right. Let's have some perspective here in America that what we go through 99.8% of the time is not persecution, it's inconvenience. Mm. Right. Um, and that's very, very, I think, important to understand uh, yeah. when talking about this. Right. Yeah. But moving back um, when the person and not the argument. Right. First, Peter 313 uh, talking about when when we are defending the faith. Right. Starts. It says, uh, now, who is there to harm you if you are jealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason and for the hope that is within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a People good forget conscience. that part. Yeah, yeah that's often forgotten. Well, they forget right? the whole, they, they forget the first part of that. But right. sanctify Christ as Lord yes. in your heart. In your heart. That's where that's going to start. Right. And then with gentleness. Right. And because as has reverence. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Because if you if you if, if Christ is Lord of your heart, Christ interacted with people with gentleness and respect. That's where it Amen. comes from. Right. It's not we're not pulling it out of out of our hat somewhere. It comes the gentleness and respect comes from Christ truly being Lord of our hearts. Right. So it says do it with gentleness and respect. Moving on to verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those mm. who revile you, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil, right? So Amen. if we are going to be wow. suffer for Christ, right? And and again, yeah, like like people will say horrible things. They will do horrible things. You will lose relationships. You will lose, you know, positions. You will lose. Like that's going to happen. Make sure right. it is because you are preaching to them the gospel and you are doing it in grace. You are doing it in truth and you are upholding the truths, the essential truths of scripture that are hills worth dying on, right? Right. Um, that is so so vital. Doing it in gentleness and respect, I think, and and that's that's the you know we, I think we touched on it on it earlier. Speaking truth in love, right? The truth isn't the love, though some might right. say it is, right? It's speaking truth in a gentle and respectful way, so that nobody can turn to you and say, "Oh, well, he was a jerk." Yeah, you can be right? firm and be gentle. You can be firm and be gentle, right? You can say, you know what. I respect you because you are an image bearer of the God that I serve, but this is a hill that I am not able to die on. 
Right. Right. We need to remember that the people we are talking to are made in the image of the same God we were. Mm. Right. It's so, so important. Um, yeah. Which kind of leads me to my, the last thing I have here is it's always about the gospel. Amen. Our goal as Christians, our mission as Christians is to bring others to Christ. That's right. 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 Is to bring others to Christ. And whether you're dealing with a believer or a non-believer, all of our interaction needs to be filtered through the gospel, meaning filtered through the grace and the love that we have been shown, realizing that the theology that we have, the beliefs that we have, the salvation that we have has been given to us freely by a God who loves his children. Mm, Amen. Show that same love, that same grace, and that same commitment to, 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 to grace and love, that same grace and love. Show that commitment to the people that you are talking to. And that doesn't mean back off on truth. That right. doesn't mean, you know, be, that doesn't mean being a coward, right? That we are very much to stand for the truth of scripture and stand firm and, and be resolute mm-hmm. on sola scriptura. Amen. But sola scriptura demands we do it in love and grace. And the don't right. forget, don't forget what sola scriptura is about. Yeah. Scripture is about Christ. Amen. Right. So, those would be just some encouragements and some reminders that I think I would throw to somebody who either is genuinely being persecuted and genuinely being given a very hard time. Because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to poo poo on that. There are many people in America today that are being treated very unjustly and very unfairly. Um, and there are people in America that I do believe are being persecuted. Um, you know, my, my point on persecution was just kind of the over, the over the, right. <laughs> the over yeah. uh, emphasis yeah. that we as Americans put yeah. on it. But yeah, those, those would be some, some thoughts, just some initial yeah. thoughts that I would have. So Good no stuff. one has a right to metaphorically tie someone to a stake and set them on fire mm-hmm. with their, their argumentation. Remember no. what James says about the tongue and words. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's no. good. No. That's good. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Barely under an hour. Hey, hey that's not bad. That's not bad. That's not bad. We'll take We're it. getting better guys. We'll take it. <laughs> Progress. Progress. <laughs> All right, we got some some major things coming up on the next couple episodes, so stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to miss the next one. Yeah, definitely don't, don't want to miss, miss the next, next one. one. That's all we're going to say. Yeah, so Reformation Week ain't over. We hope to catch you on the next one. Wait, did I say Reformation Week? Reformation Month. It it's not Reformation Week yet. That's coming. That's right. It's That's coming. That's coming. Yeah, it's coming. That is coming. We're almost yes. there. All right, we'll see you later. Get out of here. Later. Bye.